0: Uh, the series back way back in seminary, the seminary days, 2016. It was kind of a, a project of mine in a class to create a sermon series and to, uh, to preach a couple of messages from that series. So Pastor Todd asked me to adapt it for here, Christ Church. And so for the next five weeks, we're looking at how do we as a church family cast out fear? So I want to start by kicking it off with the question Have you ever felt paralyzed by fear? Well, today I'm going to share three words with you that can change your life. But before I share them with you, I need to share a story. Nine years ago, I made a decision that would radically turn my life upside down. I spent months agonizing over it, praying to God that I would make the right choice. Each time I got what seemed like an answer, I filed it away, not quite ready to trust my entire future on the message that God had given me, not quite ready to accept the change that it would bring to my life. This went on until my heart grew sick from doubt and indecision. I stood at a crossroads and knew I had to make a choice, and I did. I finally trusted the message that God had given me time and time again, and I took a step in faith. So I put in my notice at a job that I had held for over 12 years, and I went to Wesley Theological Seminary in the fall of 2014, Uh, and uh, that put me on the path to full-time ministry. You see, those three words that I believe can change your life, that God shared with me time and time again in that season, uh, is the same message that I want to share with you this morning. Now, I'm about to tell you, are you ready to hear it? Here it is don't be afraid. Let's get it up there. Don't be afraid. Oh, it's behind me. Okay, but not on here. Um, So don't be afraid. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know what the most frequent command in Scripture is? Can anybody guess? Good guess. Yes. Whether spoken by angels, by human messengers, by Jesus or the Father himself, don't be afraid is the most frequent command in Scripture. Sure, it wasn't one of the Ten Commandments, and you don't find it in the Great Commandment, but it's in the background as a necessary condition for living out our faith fruitfully. You could even consider it to be the command behind every command. And we often hear it during those, those critical stages in a biblical character's journey, when the temptation to turn back must have been so overwhelming. The moment when God really makes his presence known and assures us that he is far greater than our fear. This five-week scripture is based on a scripture verse we easily overlook, found in an epistle towards the end of the New Testament that we easily overlook. It's First uh, John 4.18, and here's what it reads. There is no fear in love, but let's say this together, but perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, let's get something straight. This doesn't mean that all fear is bad or that if you experience fear, you're somehow being unfaithful to God. In fact, we'd be in deep trouble if we never felt or experienced fear, because fear is hardwired into our being. Fear keeps us from from, uh, falling into dangerous uh, places, dangerous patterns in our lives. It it keeps us from uh, making decisions that would negatively impact ourselves or others. The stress that fear produces can help us to focus, give us clarity, and be present in the moments that matter most. It also communicates when we need to slow down and rest. It communicates when we need to rest, even in periods of transition. We can learn a lot about ourselves by paying attention to our responses to fear. But to let fear become your master is to stop short of the goal of your life. And your goal as a disciple of Christ is to become like the Son of God who embodies perfect love. The writer of 1 John believed that God is love. And if we're to fully become who God has called us to be, We can't allow fear to master us. We aren't just called to love, but to become love in Christ, to become the image of God's love in this world. Now, you might say that's all well and good, but it isn't that simple. And well, you'd be right. It isn't that simple. You know why we have such a hard time and struggle to live out our calling to be images of God's love in the world? because sin and fear invade our hearts. If sin or fear is our master, then there's little room for God's love, to love God with all that we are and all that we have. Although we can benefit from a healthy fear, there are major disadvantages to a crippling and overriding fear in our lives that prevents us from being disciples of Jesus. Let's talk about a few of these. The first is that fear can keep us from changing and from living. This isn't to say that we can somehow stop change, but to act and to live as if we can is the quickest way to quench God's spirit within us. One of the hardest things to do is to live in this faithless world as if there is a faithful God holding it all together. Life is full of change, and very little of it we have any kind of control over. We need to be careful, especially in the church, that our fear doesn't trap us in the illusion that the world hasn't changed. The sooner we grieve that change and come to terms with it, the sooner God can bring spiritual healing into our lives and use our community for amazing things. Another danger of a consuming and overriding fear is that it can twist our interpretation of Scripture. Let's be clear, we interpret Scripture with different perspectives, right, that, that are based on any number of factors, our history, our personality, and our cultural backgrounds. The spirit interacting with all that we are as we read Scripture is what makes it a living word to us. And we're even challenged in helpful ways when we bring our interpretations of Scripture into conversation with other believers. But that's not what I'm talking about. When fear rules our hearts, we can deliberately or even unconsciously twist an interpretation of a passage to ensure our comfort and decrease the threat that our fear poses. Sometimes we take some of Jesus' most radical commands and water them down in our fear. And we may feel safe and comforted, but after a while, we realize that there's something missing, that we're missing something important. To persist is only to weaken our faith until we abandon it altogether. A consuming fear can also lead to a famine of love in your heart. Do you know what Jesus said when he was questioned about the greatest commandment? He said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When fear is our master and we're fear's slave, there's very little room for love. Love. We're so focused on our own survival that we forget the source of love holds our lives in his hands. We forget we've been made in God's image to overcome this world of fears together. You see, fear isolates us from each other, putting up walls of ignorance and indifference and keeping us unfruitful. But before we can confront our fears, we must name them. It takes courage and a lot of support from our community to do this. Maybe your greatest fear is change. If so, you could be standing on the edge of God's promises, unable to take that next step and embrace that change, embrace those promises God has given you. Maybe your fear stems from an unhealthy understanding of God. For some, the good news of John 3.16 may actually sound like bad news. It may sound like, for God so condemned the world because He wanted to punish sin, that you must believe in Jesus in order to go to heaven. Maybe you fear those who are different from you and challenge your view of the world. Maybe you fear the specter of sickness and death that haunts every one of us, whether directly or indirectly. We've all lost loved ones. We all have had to face our own mortality. These are legitimate fears. But when we are confronted by these fears, we're called to confront these fears and to cast them out in perfect love. Today we're looking at perhaps... One of our greatest fears, and that is the fear of change. The truth is that change is inevitable. We all go through change. Even with good change, we experience some degree of grief, loss, and pain. And even when the change is negative, God can use the bad things we experience for good. God can even use your sin and mistakes to accomplish his purpose. Whether your experience of change has resulted from choices you've made, consequences you're suffering, or circumstances you just happen to be in, God is at work. And because of this, change is always a test of faith. When our faith stands the test, we become stronger spiritually, and we glorify God in the process. What does this mean? Well, that God is Lord over change. Not only did God create the universe and everything in it, God holds all the things that he created together in his very being. If all things were created by God and in him those things are being held together, it means that God is Lord over everything. Change is included in everything. To be Lord over change means that nothing surprises or thwarts God's purpose for us. This means that change is part of God's purpose for us. So if God is Lord over change, and change is part of God's purpose for us, I think we need to address the elephant in the room. We don't want to change. I mean, face it, we resist it. We'd rather kick and scream our way out of change than embrace it. So church family, why do we resist change? There are so many reasons, but I wanna I wanna share four reasons with you this morning. The first reason we resist change is we haven't prioritized God's word. I know that sounds a little bit strange, but think about what Scripture is. Think about what God's word is, what the Bible is. It's the witness of a living God. We call it God's Word because it reveals the Word of God, Jesus Christ, to us in a way that has saved, guided, and built up disciples over millennia, over centuries. Listen to what Paul had to say to his protege, Timothy, about God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do What is right. So, scripture is inspired by God, useful to teach us, and makes us realize what what needs to be corrected in our lives. When we don't prioritize God's word and read scripture regularly, we miss out on the growth that God wants to bring about in us. Think of scripture as a kind of spotlight that shines a light even into the darkest corner of your being. Despite ourselves, Scripture makes it possible for us to change, even when that isn't our primary goal. It's like the disciples on the road to Emmaus learned, that when you couple a relationship with Jesus and the practice of reading and reflecting on Scripture in His presence, your life changes direction entirely. Another reason we resist change is that we believe we have something to lose. My wife, sister-in-law, and I moved out of our apartment into a house about two years ago. Aside from the thundering horde of children above our heads at all hours, it actually was a pretty nice place. It was the nicest apartment I've ever had, and I didn't intend to move out of it until I uh, was, you know, if I got reappointed to another church, sure, but as long as I was at Christ Church, I wanted to stay put. But as we considered our options, I began to crunch the numbers. I began to pray about it and think about it. And I realized, as painful as it would be to uproot and move, we'd be in better emotional, mental, and financial shape if we did, if we had our own place. I came to understand through the process of letting go that I had more to gain than I had to lose. Paul, The Apostle Paul learned the same thing when he first encountered Jesus. Listen to his reflections on this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You see, when the gospel was first preached, Paul persecuted Christians. He hunted them down. He thought they were some dangerous sect that would destroy Judaism from the inside out. What he missed was that God had done a new thing in his time, something that was long foretold. Before encountering Jesus for the first time, Paul hunted down Christians. He imprisoned them. He even attended their executions. He was afraid he had something to lose, so he resisted change. But then Paul, uh, Jesus knocked Paul off his horse and blinded him on the road to Damascus. And ever since then, Paul embraced the Lord wholeheartedly. He reversed course. That which was once precious to him, the thing that he feared to lose, he came to see as disposable. He says that he counts everything as garbage compared to his relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you say the same? If not, you may fear what you have to lose more than you trust what you have to gain. Another reason we resist change is we don't want to break the illusion of control. How many of you would consider yourselves control freaks? And Be honest. Okay. Not many of you will admit it, but I think that we all are to some degree or another. Often if we can fool ourselves into thinking we're in control, we feel better about our circumstances. But listen to what King Solomon had to say about the human impulse to be in control. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know what this says, right? You can go ahead and make your plans, but God's going to get the last laugh. God's purpose prevails over your plans. The truth is that there's very little in life that we can control. That's why we settle for the illusion of control. But Scripture teaches it's better to acknowledge that we aren't in control and to seek God's understanding of God's purpose for us. When we yield to the Lord, we no longer need to be in control. We can rest secure in God's lordship over creation. Another reason we resist change is we want to avoid any kinds of suffering. Think about it. I'll go back to my, uh, my earlier example about the apartment. I resisted moving out of the apartment to the home that we live in now because I wanted to avoid suffering. I didn't want to go through the pain of losing a familiar place. I didn't want to go through the work of packing up my belongings, renting a U-Haul, taking time off work, and going through all of the paperwork that's necessary to purchase a home. Sure enough, those months of transition were some of the most unsettling and painful of my recent life, but with suffering came much needed change, and to this day I don't regret our decision. The Apostle Paul had a major challenge in one of his churches. It was so bad, he wrote them a sharply worded letter saying, you better shape up and start acting like the Christians that you claim to be. 2 Corinthians is uh, the sequel, in a sense, to that sharply worded letter. It's his response to how that letter was received. Check this out, 2 Corinthians 7, 8. Paul writes, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. So it's like, sorry, not sorry. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Paul suffered in writing this letter, which he knew would hurt the Corinthian church, but he hoped that it would turn the situation around, that, that the situation would become changed. Because Paul was bold enough to follow God's lead through the suffering, change did occur in the Corinthian church. He told the church that <clears throat> the pain they experienced caused them to repent and change their ways. Look, I'm not saying we go out and seek pain and suffering But as an inevitability of life, how comforting and empowering is it to know that our God will use whatever suffering we go through to build us up, to bring us to that much-needed place of change if we let Him? The problem is, we'll never let Him if our only goal in life is to preserve our own comfort, to maintain the status quo, and to avoid any kind of suffering. So, church family, how can you cast out your fear of change? I want to share four ways with you. The first way to cast out your fear of change is to recognize the need to change. Have you ever heard this expression before? It it goes like this. God loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. It isn't in the Bible, but I believe it really captures the essence of God's heart for us. God sees your potential because he created it. And he knows how to unlock it in Christ so long as we recognize the need to change. Earlier, we talked about how Paul went from resisting change to fully embracing change. Let's hear his perspective on this. Again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Family, Paul realizes that he's a work in progress. By the time he's written this, he's come so far from his days as Saul the persecutor, But he recognizes there's still areas of resistance toward God in his heart. He recognizes that he's in a kind of spiritual race. He knows that to grow complacent is to create a lot of inertia in his walk in faith. He doesn't want to arrest his momentum. By saying he forgets what's behind, he's saying that the past no longer has any power over the work that God is doing in his life in the presence over the change that God is bringing about. He recognizes his need to change, and he cooperates with God's grace so that it comes about. What a difference it would make if we all strained forward towards the goal of our faith, if we all pushed on, if we all ran that race as Paul did. Another way to cast out your fear of change is to seek wisdom— And focus on what you can change. There are entire books of the Bible that are focused on the value of wisdom. We learn that wisdom comes from God and was with God from the very beginning of the world, from the very beginning of creation. In fact, the New Testament makes a link between the pre-incarnate Jesus, God the Son, and personified wisdom from the Old Testament. Just as God is love, so God is also wisdom. Wisdom. Listen to the Apostle James' advice on how to seek wisdom. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I love how James kind of tongue-in-cheek says, if any of you lack wisdom. Truth is that we all lack wisdom. But if you ask God for wisdom, you'll get it because we have a generous God. I can't tell you how many times I've received wisdom from a brother or sister in the faith or from reading Scripture. Think about it this way. It's this kind of an interesting illustration. God's will is our roadmap to life, and God's wisdom is our GPS. The roadmap shows where we begin and where we're called to end, But the GPS is the thing that gives us the turn-by-turn instructions that helps us to get from one end of the roadmap to the other. This means the wisdom of God guides us to live into God's will for our lives. God's wisdom positions you to focus on what you can change in your life. This includes knowing what you can't change. For instance, you can't change other people. Uh, Maybe you've tried before, but I assure you that apart from God's grace— That's not happening. Uh, You also can't change on a dime. You know, unless you've got a really beefed up engine, I'm betting you can't get your minivan from zero to 60 in under three seconds. It's just not gonna happen. Same thing spiritually. It's best to focus on small changes that the Lord has put on your heart. And these small changes often lead to bigger changes over time. I'll give you an example. I became a Christian at the end of 2011 after uh, attending Christ Church for six months as an agnostic. After I became a disciple, I spent a lot of time reading scripture, praying, and meeting with other brothers and sisters in the faith. I made small changes here and there. And over time, I felt God calling me into full time ministry. So I spent a couple years exploring this call and dipping my toes in the water. I, I served in various ways in the church and outside of the church, and eventually I went to seminary for three years. After seminary, I was appointed right back here at my home church to start an online campus, and that was, believe it or not, seven years ago. And since then, I've experienced so much change that I can't even begin to describe it. That's exactly how God works. It starts small, and one day you look back and you realize with amazement how far God has brought you, and it just builds your faith in God even more. You can also cast out your fear of change by adopting a posture of humility. There are a couple ways we can define humility. The first is this, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Another way is humility is an open posture of trust that comes from knowing and trusting that come what may, God has my best interests at heart. In many ways, it's a release of that tendency to try to control everything, to try to control things that honestly are not really in our control in the first place. Look what James says about the power of humility. James 4, 6, and 10, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. When we humble ourselves, we receive more of God's grace, and that grace is what enables us not only to embrace change, but to be changed. God's pleased when we humble ourselves because we're right-sizing ourselves in relation to the God of the universe we recognize that God alone should sit on the throne of our hearts. The truth is that we'll always be afraid of change unless we're willing to adopt a posture of humility before God. It means acknowledging that God is truly Lord over change and that change is part of God's purpose for us. The last way you can cast out your fear of change is to remember who God is. We human beings are so forgetful when we're in the trenches of life, we often act as if God doesn't exist or isn't interested or doesn't have the bandwidth to help us. And then we come on Sundays and we praise God as an all-loving, all-knowing, and all-present Father. But it's not God who's inconsistent. It's our memory. It's us that's inconsistent. Here's the gospel truth. If you take nothing else away from this morning, Hebrews thirteen eight is the is the verse you need to look at because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's say that together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When everything in your life is changing all around you, this is the bedrock upon which you can stand. Aside from change itself, this is the one constant that we have in the universe. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You know what this means, church family? That Jesus Christ is Lord over change. Jesus Christ is Lord over change. The one we worship today, he took on flesh, he lived a human life, suffered loss, grief, and every change that this life brings, even death itself. And yet the grave couldn't hold him. Now Jesus brings redeeming change into the lives of all those who put their trust in him. Because Jesus cast out every fear going to the cross, you and I can know perfect love today. Christ Church has experienced a lot of change recently. Just two years ago, we brought on as our uh, transitional lead pastor, Pastor Todd Schlechti. And just last year, we said goodbye to Pastor John, who retired after 30 years of ministry. You know, it takes guts to trust in the Lord when we experience changes of that magnitude. It takes guts to say, to stand up here and say, the best is yet to come, when, outwardly speaking, the future seems uncertain. Maybe you're facing change in the season of your life. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed and alone as you face losing a loved one or a job or uh, suffering some kind of consequences for a choice that you've made. Or it could be a good change, yet still hard to fully embrace. Don't take your eyes off Jesus, and don't forget who God is. Don't forget who he revealed himself to be. Because no matter how you feel about all of this, the truth remains that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. Just knowing this is an invitation and a challenge to embrace our seasons of change in faith. So if you're paralyzed by the fear of change, I want you to know one thing, that you're not alone. God never promised change would be easy or painless, but God has promised to be with us through the changes that we experience in life. It all comes back to the promise that perfect love casts out fear. Jesus tells us not to be afraid, not because there's nothing in life to fear, but because he's greater than our fears. Jesus is perfect in love, and when you put your trust in him, he will cast out your fear because Jesus Christ is Lord over change. Church family, are we ready to trust God's word to us? Then let's run the race and embrace change together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,